6 a.m. and uh, still can't unsee what I saw, and I'm still trying to uh, comprehend, unpack any other words I could use to come to grips with. A, you, you, we all know me. We all know Chattanooga. We all know I would rather lose to. I mean, we could literally Tisha could lose every single game, but just be Chattanooga, my year would be made right. So um, both have been. I don't want to say. Well, the first game was more entertaining than the second game. I don't know the games were entertaining in maybe a truest basketball way. They were entertaining in score and entertaining certainly in the finales and great endings. I mean, if you just want to step aside and not wear either blue and gold glasses for either team and just outside in watch two endings to a college basketball game, certainly that meets all the standards. But at some point, me and uh, Gene Henley, who Right for the Chattanooga Times Free Press was trying to debate what was a bigger loss, uh, the game of basketball last night or fans, because it was tough to watch. I mean, just it wasn't – defense was there, yes, but there were just a lot of basketball plays that I think both teams would expect would be made that weren't. That being said, it's conference season. It's grinded out time. You're trying to battle for each issue a championship for Chattanooga. And we'll go over, I'm sure, in our Stark Report later on in the show – they're still in it for a chance at a championship. So a lot riding on it. I'm still not real sure what happened. Uh, clearly, if you heard my call, you, you know I didn't. I, I was confused. And I can go into more detail on exactly what was going on in my mind because there is a significant gap where I'm trying to figure out what was going on. Um, you can we start there? You well, feel free because I am completely open to this segment being your therapy session. After okay, thank you. Very difficult. So, um, as, as the last play was unfolding, or next to last play, I guess, technically was unfolding, and talking on air about the fact they had, um, I want to say it was Sloan and it was Monsanto outside, and they were kind of splitting the difference from sort of the elbow extended to a wing, and I thought a game plan would be to immediately either tap it back to one of those guys or catch and kick and talked about it. 
happened to work out exactly perfect. And Vonnie Patterson, I've seen the replay a couple times. The fact that he was able to squeeze through a couple defenders, go the other side of the rim and get a rebound is incredible. And then to exactly know that his guy was going to run to the corner, that is clearly something that has been well thought out, has been planned. That isn't anything – that just didn't happen – um, and, and Vonnie's a smart guy, and I'm not saying that at all, but for Damari and everybody to be on the same page, and the ball goes there, and as the ball's leaving his hand, after hearing it again, there is a whistle. Live, clearly, I, I did not hear a whistle. And as the ball's going through the net, and, of course, I'm, I'm losing my ever-loving mind, then there is the quadruple tweet, as I call it. You know, not just the whistle blow, but the do 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 And so generally that's a violation, that's a thing, that's a wipe-off-a-basket type whistle. So as I'm hearing that, I'm, I'm focusing from my far right corner to almost sort of to my 2 o'clock from where I'm sitting to see across the way at the referee Chuck Jones that blew the whistle. And the only thing I see by the time I get there is him pointing at the bench. So in my head... I'm trying to wrap around the sound of that whistle and what that generally means to what could have happened, what's going on. Why is he pointing at the bench? Is there, is there a technical? Is there a violation? Is somebody running on the floor? Is there, I mean, there's so many things I'm going into. Clock not start soon enough was the one in my head. Right, we that too. That, no, that's a great one. And that didn't, that didn't enter my mind, but Kevin Brown sitting next to me did say, hey, did the clock start on time? And, again, this is all happening. For, so there's a two- or three-second kind of just nothingness where – I really don't know six. I don't. I, there is nothing being said or given. No idea. And finally, Chuck Jones, I think, makes the thirty-second or fall camera. But it makes the timeout signal, uh, like, like a distinct, like this is the timeout. And so then I was like, okay, timeout, Coach And then it dawns on me, like, oh my goodness, timeout, like that. That not after the bucket went in, but timeout before. And then sure enough, you know, they wipe it off. They go to the monitor. They put more time on. And then honestly. I thought Damari Monsanto got a pretty good look because with three seconds to go, you're down a couple. You know, if you don't run at the rim and the way they set up the screens, you know he's going to shoot to three. Sure, everybody's running at him. And for him to be, I think, calm and get a ball fake, sidestep dribble, and get a shot off, and it looked good. It really did. Sitting there, and it hit just off the back iron, just a tad too long, had a little too much on it, come shooting off. And, and maybe because he just hit the last shot that didn't count that I, I was feeling that way. But the the pause in there, there was just so many things going on. Again, then I went back and um, I, I think it was WJHL posted the video. Somebody posted one underneath, but I'm pretty sure it was JHL. And that's the first time I'd heard the whistle. And because at the end of the game, by the time I'm packing up and all that, I usually don't get to hear the second half highlights. So I'm not, and, uh, you know, you're, you're cutting a bunch of stuff. So later on, I got the audio clip and was able to kind of, oh, okay, there was the whistle. But, like, I didn't even hear the first whistle. So I was trying to figure out how you're wiping off a bucket that late into the thing. And then when I realized, okay, there was one whistle, then there's about a second where nobody did anything. So then Chuck really blows on the whistle, let everybody know. Timeout. Then you see the video and you're like, okay, clearly ETSU asked for a timeout. So it's unfortunate that it played out that way. Certainly uh, heartbreaking. I think it makes it even more heartbreaking than the loss at home uh, than what it was because you actually saw a shot go in that got wiped off, you know, and, you know, and Chattanooga, to their credit, hit a shot, given an opportunity. The Bucks thought they'd hit a shot and then turn around and then do not hit a shot. So it, all, all that, and then I got to drive home afterwards. So, yes, yeah, brutal. I think many would say that you're burying the lead here. 
timeout. Because we got to talk about it at some point. Mm-hmm. You want me to talk about it? I mean, I think you have to. I, d- I, I, I don't, I don't under... I, Set the internet ablaze. Made Sports Center, Scott Van Pelt, so on and so forth. The... The fact that it wasn't Jason Shea to call the timeout is baffling and and confusing. I've sat next to the bench a long time. I certainly haven't been at the bench for every college game that's ever existed or anything to that magnitude. But I've always heard, and when I first heard, and I've not seen the video, that Coach Wise called timeout, I thought it was the usual, like, hey, Coach, you got a timeout. Coach, timeout, he's stuck in a corner. Timeout, whatever. He's saying call a timeout as opposed to calling a timeout. And Chuck Jones just, God bless him, in the heat of the moment, heard the word timeout, thought a coach wanted it, gave it to him. Then you watch the video, and Matt Wise has literally ran by people to make a T for timeout, like almost in Chuck's face, that he almost had to grant the timeout at the time. And the timeout, again, granted within milliseconds, if you rewind the tape on the first one, by the time the ball was leaving his hand, it, it was taken out of his hand, but at that point, I don't think you cannot go with the whistle. Um, a lot of people kept sending me the rule of, well, it says coach can't call whistle. But if you read further into that rule, it says if the uh, timeout was granted, even deemed to be by someone who can't call a timeout, the timeout is still granted. So there is a caveat of, yes, they can't, but if they are called that, it's still a timeout. So even the rule book defends everything that, that happened and what, Chuck Jones did. And I, I don't think Chuck should be a villain in this whatsoever. I've, I've told the story to several um, people that reached out to me last night. Chuck Jones was in a game at Florida Gulf Coast. That's where you'll love my, my mind here. ETSU got an offensive rebound. Isaiah Brown kicks it out right as the three is about to be shot. Chuck Jones blows a whistle. Shot does go in. Murray Bartow sitting on the bench. Everyone is staring. Again, we don't know what's going on. I don't know how Chuck gets in these games. And Chuck <laughs> is pointing at Murray, and he says, do you want a 30 or a full? So, and I'm sitting next to the bench, so I know. And Murray said, 30, thank you. And he stands up, and everyone is staring. And Coach Bartow gets up. They draw a play. Needless to say, the center, uh, I think it's Andrew Reed, ends up taking a long shot that's not even close. It's wide right. Might have even been Isaiah Brown. And the Bucks end up losing that contest. So I have actually seen, witnessed that, and been with Chuck Jones in the wow. same building that that has happened. That being said, Murray Bartow was the head coach. Jason Shea calls a timeout. I think everyone's like, okay, big baller went with it. I think the issue is he didn't call the timeout. And if you watch the video, him and Coach Hire and everybody else is going for what they call the scramble play. And that they, I've heard worked a long time now with Coach Forbes. I've worked a long time with Coach Shea. I've heard them talk about that a lot. I've heard other assistant coaches on other staffs tell me that um, it's one of the toughest things to defend because of just the hecticness of it, and you'll probably get a better look than if you were to call a timeout and set up a play. It's very difficult with, you know, if you had eight or ten seconds, that's different. If you've got two, three, four seconds, it's difficult to get a clean look when everyone knows sort of what's coming. And the old rule of thumb, right? You try to get the one run Coach Shea, I think we'll run a bite here in a minute, and he addresses that. But, but generally, that, that's what you assume is going to happen. So I think the biggest thing is, is you know, where was the, the you know, and I'm not talking to Coach Shea, Coach Rod, I don't talk to anybody about this uh, yet because we got home with it, but I'm going to like, was there a conversation that there could have been 
a situation where we want to call one was or not. I, I don't, my gut feeling, just working with them, watching the reaction, I don't think that that had entered Coach Shea's mind. My question is, though, without trying to totally villainize somebody without knowing, did was there somewhere in that thing of like, hey, we have one if we need to use? I, I don't know. I just think knowing Coach Shea, and then again, I didn't know all of it till I finally got in the car, and then people are sending me the video, what had actually happened, and then I feel like Coach Shea was rolling. He was fine with whatever, win or lose, shop was going to go there. And, of course, you could always do the, well, if he didn't miss it, would he be crushed for not calling, why didn't he call a timeout, do whatever. But to me, that's a different conversation because you're still talking about the head coach then takes responsibility for wins and losses. I think it's tough because of how that broke down. I think it's even tougher because it was on a, a Monday night. Scott Van Pelt has a bad beat show. I think the line was Chattanooga minus one and a half. The money line was probably a decent money. I mean, you look into all the things. Gamblers what were – One game in the AP Top 25 Monday night. Gamblers were crushing Correct. both teams. And this is the disadvantage sometimes of, I guess, well, it's great you can bet on sports all the time. But at the same time, you have to worry about your official Twitter handle. I don't know about yours, but mine with the official ETSU basketball accounts are getting blown up because – you know, people bet large sums of money, which, again, what is wrong with you betting Monday night large sums of money on a Southern Commerce game that you probably know nothing about? If you know something about it, then, you know, but I'm also, I also want to say this. I've said this a long time. How does Vegas know? One and a half. It was two. It was either going to be two one way or one the other. I mean, how do they know? It is incredible to see what kind of math calculations or what, or what genius just sits there and goes, yep, that's a lot. I've talked to a linemaker. When I used to do a call-in show in Florida, I used to talk to a line. I probably said this on the podcast before. If you're new to the podcast, but it was one of the fun things I ever used to do. I would actually have a lines maker in Vegas that would call in, and he would talk about setting lines, and he would talk about, like, we know, you know, when, for, for an example, uh, Alabama football. It's a great example, right? They always win. So if they thought Alabama football was actually going to be a seven, eight-point road favorite, well, they jack it up to 10 or 11 because the betting public's going to pound Alabama. You know, they're going to pound the Patriots. They're going to pound LeBron. They're going to pound certain plays, the Yankees. They're always going to be some influxes. But you get in some of the other ones, and it's like, you know, the calculation is this. And then, you know, yes, we use calculations and you know, certain things and computer algorithms. And then at some point, somebody looks at it and goes, nope, we got to move here. Because you're generally right, trying to get 50% on each side or, or whatever you think it's going to be. But I've always been enthralled because at that time, you know, I was in Gainesville, Cala, covering the SEC and stuff, and so I was asking more about that. I never thought about I wish I could do the show again where I could say, how in the world in the Southern Conference did you get that? Or And, and for the most part, the, you know, they're not been far off. There have been a couple that I thought were crazy and pan out to be crazy. I also had a couple of crazy that they were more on than I would be. So it, it's interesting to see, but because of that aspect of it, I think it made it worse and caught more steam than probably it would have been for maybe a regular game or maybe it was a 10-12 point spread or something like that where there wasn't huge, because let's be honest, there was huge money swing on that one way or another, and that's why, you know, Scott Van Pelt and what's the Stanford Steve, whatever his name is, they do this, and they show you, like, hey, you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't bet on it, right? It's part of their disclaimer. You shouldn't do it because of this stuff right here could happen. Hey, you won the game. Oh, no, you didn't. Now you lost. This guy won money. You lost money. It's incredible. 
let me qualify this by saying Coach Wise made a mistake, right? But let's walk our way there into how we got to that mistake. Coach Shea postgame said, and I think this is a key piece, and I think I'm reading his comments the right way. They were a bit ambiguous, but he said that the Bucks' plan was to play it out, quote-unquote, talking about the final sequence. That, to me, when he says that, means that he wants his guy to make both free throws. And then they're going to try and get a steal on the inbound. If you don't get it, foul. And he said, we have about four seconds, and you can take four dribbles in four seconds. That's plenty of time to work with. So, if I'm reading those comments right, then the situation the Bucks ended up in was not one that they had planned for. Bonnie Patterson, as you said, makes a heck of a play to go and get the rebound. And in the moment, I think, and I believe Matt Wise is the scout, right? In the moment, Correct. I think Matt Wise and the entire Buck bench, I'm sure, is beside themselves thinking about the great fortune that they have that Vonnie goes and gets that, even though the plan was not to miss that second free throw. So when you have it in your hands and you're trapped on the baseline, as it appeared Vonnie was, and again, as you said, all around an incredible play by Vonnie to not only go get the rebound, have the awareness, whether it was pre-planned or not, that Damari Monsanto is going to be in the corner, find him, and then the shot from Damari, incredible. A perfect set of circumstances for the Bucks in that situation, for one that they did not necessarily plan for. What I think happened is Coach Wise, especially when it's your scout, right, you take some ownership of the game, a little bit more than everyone else, I think. He tries to be a hero. Lost in the good fortune that he sees, he says, oh my gosh, we have to capture this moment and set up a play because... We're down two. We've got the ball again. This is all we could ask for. He didn't plan for the awareness of Ani Patterson. He didn't plan for Demari Monsanto going to the spot he needed to go to, hitting an extremely difficult shot on a night, quite honestly, he wasn't really that involved or successful on the offensive end. Coach Wise made a mistake, but I can see how that mistake was made. You're in a situation you didn't think you'd be in, one you probably didn't plan for if, again, you were planning on playing it out and you saw that Bonnie was in a tough situation, let's have as much time as possible, let me call the timeout, and we'll draw up a play. I am not, by any means, letting Coach Wise off the hook. That being said, I think he was trying to, much like a player on a court that maybe tries to do a little bit too much, right? He's trying to make a play for his team. Does that make it excusable? I'm sure that everyone listening to this right now hates the take, but... He is trying to make a play for his team, and in that moment, I can see how his brain got there. What does make it kind of beyond the realm of what I'm talking about is the fact that, yes, you've got a head coach that has waited 20-plus years for this opportunity. You've got two assistant coaches that have been associate head coaches immediately before coming here. And as Matt Wise, you probably should not be making that call. That being said, and I know this is, again, a terrible take, right? He misses that shot. Matt Wise looks brilliant. And it's a situation that I think 99 times out of 100, you do not end up with a positive result if you play that out. It just so happened that Vonnie Patterson and Demario Monsanto were on the same page. And here's the counterpoint to my point. You do have to trust your guys to make a play. Vonnie and Demario did. I'm not sure Matt Wise saw that coming. The other thing, and here's what I was going to ask you because you've been with teams now, so you talking scouting. I think people don't understand that, like, each assistant coach is assigned a team and a scout. And a Coaches are more hypersensitive when it's their scout. Absolutely. It's Everything rides on them. They are the one that comes up with a game plan. And 
how we're going to do this and what how do we start how do we, so they are a lot more in tune and vested in and I'm obviously they're the best in every game but like it is more they're more there's lots of hours attention. that go in yes it is just and it's also a game where the Bucks just lost a tight one you know because if you do the first Chattanooga scout you're going to do the second Chattanooga scout right now it makes sense so you're familiar with the team you know the personnel you've watched more games on them you've been able to do more so it is I think that also plays into that I think he may not be hypersensitive if it was you know coach battle scout or coach hire scout or whatever the case may be I feel like you know probably wouldn't have been that I don't know again it's not almost say he's not into the game because he certainly is all the time it's just different I don't know how to kind of quantifying into words for people to understand because I, it's like a project really at about. work if you're listening at work on a tuesday wednesday whenever you're listening to this or you've been in a setting where you work with other people on a team right it's like if you're given a project at work and you've got a presentation to give on that project that's essentially what playing a game that you have scouted is it is your presentation and so when you do all that work and your product that you're putting forth is up in front of fans, other teams for the world to see, especially again on a Monday night, Southern Conference is one of the better conferences, certainly one of the best, if not the best, mid-major conference, a top ten conference in the conference RPI. It gets more attention now than maybe it used to with betting and the rise of betting recently. Again, all the things that you laid out, the fact that there wasn't a lot going on. The entire college basketball world could be focusing, unfortunately they are now, on that one game because there's only one game in the AP Top 25. And where are you going to go after that? Let's go check out some mid-major ball, right? Especially in a conference like the SoCon. So that's your product up in front of everyone. A lot of eyeballs on it. So, yes, you want to make sure that every aspect is right. And I think that led to Coach Wise overstepping his bounds a bit. Because if I'm Coach Shea, quite honestly, I'm furious. You've talked to coaches. You've been around so many coaches that I'm sure you've talked to some of them in the last 12, 24 hours, whatever it was since it's amazing. that game happened. But I think that if I'm Coach Shea, I'm feeling upset, no question. I don't know how I would deal with it. If I'm coach-wise, I'm expecting my head coach to be upset because that is not your job, right? Unless there's something we don't know about that in that situation, coach-wise is supposed to call the time. I do not think that that is the case, but there are certain responsibilities that are delegated from the head coach. Perhaps that was one that was for coach-wise. Late in the game, you got to be my second pair of eyes. I'm just doing a conversation in my mind between Coach Shea and Coach Wise. I'm going to have you be the guy that makes that split-second call. Maybe that's the case. Of course it looks bad in hindsight. But in the moment, put yourself in Coach Wise's head. I can see how he got there. Was it the right call? Of course not when the shot went in. But that being said, everything was aligned perfectly for him to look bad on that play. And so many other times if that play played out that way it would not have been the case I, if I'm Coach Jay I'm furious if I'm Buck fans I understand why you'd be upset <laughs> the poor betting community I don't have a whole lot of sympathy because again yeah you should you be care less about tons that. and tons of money yeah. on what, these what games is wrong with you? but um, I can see why there's the anger on that side I can see why Coach Jay would be upset and I can see why Coach Wise probably feels terrible the way he does today uh, but, but I really don't I really have a problem throwing him under the bus completely because, again, I've been that guy on a court, on a field, try and make a play, right? And I've done too much, tried to go above and beyond, and it's backfired. And I just think that's all that happened with Coach Wise last night. And, yes, it's horrible timing, right? Because then the Bucks, if they win that game, 
there, nine and four, and they're right there in the SoCon race. They're still right there in the SoCon race. It doesn't cost you everything, but Coach Chase, that post game, <laughs> did we deserve to win that game? I mean, so many mistakes, so many mistakes that led to that point. Fifty-three, fifty-one. It wasn't exactly a pretty game. No, that's an understatement. That's I didn't even go over anything of the stats, but I, again, I, it's we, tough to honestly. The only thing I want to say is I, I harped on this week now, week and a half now. Thirteen of twenty-eight from inside the paint. And I mean, it's just and you lose by two. Does it even get to that point? And let me ask you this: Do you think that ETSU just followed up their best game this season against Wofford, kind of in all aspects, with maybe their worst offensive game since Abilene Christian? I'm saying the Wofford game was best in all aspects would be my contention. And then 48 hours, you go and put that product well, on court. Just very confused. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of raise you this, too, though. The game had no, other than, like, the opening 9 nothing run for Chad, okay? The next longest run was, was 7 nothing in the second half by ATSU. The next longest run was 6 on two different occasions for Chad. 5 by, like, 9 different occasions. Like, the game... The, the flow of it was interesting. Everyone had three timeouts to go at the last media timeout. Yeah, the floater came at the, one minute. The max timeout. And people, there were three timeouts left in the pocket in a two-point game. When is the last? The game, it was very interesting the way it played out because nobody really, there wasn't momentum to kill. There wasn't anything to strategize. It's like, okay, we're going to make a play. All right, we've got a rebound. We're going to get in transition. We're going to get a set. Well, now we don't want to call timeout. We're 15 on the shot clock. Hey, we're going to get a shot. No, we don't get it. There's a rebound. I mean, it was a little mundane for both teams. Um, It played out very strangely and certainly 53-51 and not a game where you're feeling like, you know, boy, this was just a lockdown Virginia somebody, you know, bloodbath. This wasn't anything like that um, I was just the game played out oddly the ending matched the rest of the game in oddity now the billion dollar question is how much do you harp and go to this and then how much your coach share whatever you look at the team and go we got Mercer tomorrow boys like this thing ain't letting up you know yes you got Mercer down there but you know, you needed an 8-10 point comeback in a Herculean effort by DeMario Monsanto to win the game. Like, you're going to have to turn around and get that. Then you got to go on the road and play Sanford. Then you got to come home. Oh, no, you go on the road again to play VMI. Then you're home for UNCG. You're certainly not going to feel sorry for anybody. So the crazy thing is they're still in it. You know, they need a little bit of help, as everybody does, at UNCG to lose, you know, for some teams, you know, two games. You know, for ETSU fans, they need one more. And then, of course, when you play them. But there's other teams that need, you know, a loss or two here or there. Furman still, I think, sitting at four losses. We'll right? talk all that in stock report. All right, I'm getting out of control. But I think you're right on the immediate. I'm just speculating. Have you been in locker rooms before? I think there has to be just today or last night when they got back at some point before they get into practice on this Tuesday preparing for Mercer. There has to be a clearing of the air, right? Because this is not the dark ages. Maybe no one knew in the moment on the ETSU bench that Coach Wise was running over to call that timeout. But they have Twitter. They have social media. Sports Center and SVP are the biggest thing going in sports media in terms of the nightly shows. They've seen what happened. It would be impossible to ignore. If you're Coach Wise, you just get up in front of the team and say, guys, look, my bad. You know, this, <laughs> I tried to do 
you too much. I should have trusted you guys. You're on the court. I should have let you make the play. I tried to make the play from the bench, and, and that's my bad. If you're Coach Shea, do you say, hey, look, we all saw the video, but we're all in this together. You guys have made mistakes. I make mistakes. Coach Wise made a mistake last night. Now we got to come together and get ready for the stretch run. These next two weeks, that's going to decide the league title, not something that a coach did from the bench last night. Put it behind you, and let's come together. And if anybody isn't in it, speak right now. This is your time. If you want to F-bomb anybody in this locker room, go right ahead. But we have to put this behind us. Whatever the airing of the grievances, uh, to steal a term from Seinfeld and Festivus, whatever the airing of the grievances looks like, you got to do it before you get into practice because if there is ill will harbored between anyone in that locker room after that game, it could tear the team apart. We'll find out Mercer, 7 o'clock. Back for it. Normally we would talk, uh, you know, the game Chattanooga, we'd talk uh, Mercer, but uh, I, needed, uh, I need to get that off my chest. I hope you feel a little bit better. I'm going to drink more coffee. Okay. 30 second timeouts here. We're saying I'm Saki. Come on the Buccaneers. Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge, new name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Breakdown. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. Sandoz and the sidekick. We have ignition. Grab it out. Here we go. percentage comes into play so I mean clearly they're going to need a couple losses to get them back down to everybody else. Well let's start with UNCG so they hold on against Mercer on Saturday and of course I'm on air for Buccaneer Sports Network and writing off during I think I did like a live blue note in the pregame and that game was just winding down as we were getting ready to tip off at Freedom Hall and 
UNCG's up 15 with three and a half minutes to go, and I say, well, UNCG, they're going to be able to coast to victory today, so on and so forth. And it's a crazy finish down in Macon, in which Mercer gets a wide <laughs> really good open look. shot. Really good look. Wide open shot from the corner. I do not know who took it. Was that Gary? Right corner. I can't oh, remember I, who took it. Because I, 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 I was on air, and I had David Fox flip the computer around to see because he tapped me and said they had a wide open shot. It was that, wide. That's all, that's all I remember. Open. I'll try and get it here in a second, but absolutely wide open to tie and send to overtime, and it rimmed out. Front rim from his vantage point, back rim, and out, and UNCG does hold on. Who do you think the key is for them to be able to seal the Southern Conference regular season championship? I have my answer if you want to give it some thought. You have your answer, but you're going to wait for me to off the cuff give you my thought? I said I'll give you my answer if you want to give it some thought. Yes, go. On three hours of sleep, which is the only reason I'm laying all of this line. Okay. Uh, Caleb Hunter. And this is the strange thing this year. You got Isaiah Miller, of course. He is what he is. And you've seen some progression from others on the team, including Allegri and Keyshawn Langley. They're continuously, you know, kind of improving as the season's gone along. And they've made strides. I think, unlike Caleb Hunter, who's maybe even gone backwards, he was the second leading scorer last year for UNCG. He was the only other in double figures aside from Isaiah Miller. You look at his stats this year, and he was double figures this past Saturday against Mercer. I think he had 11 points on 4-8 from the field, but I expected him, knowing that Miller was going to be back, and you know what you're getting with him, the preseason league player of the year, all around the best player in the league, and then you've got some guards that are coming along as well. You needed that second score that he had last year to, instead of being 10 points per game, you needed him to be 13 or 14 to take that step, a legitimate second threat. Instead, I think he's averaging like 7.5, 7, 7.5, maybe 8. He's not only not taking the strides, he's regressed. And if he doesn't come along, I'm not sure that UNCG in the Southern Conference Tournament isn't going to be able to avoid. Now, we're talking regular season, right? So they're in the loss column, a game up on Furman, and two games up on everyone else. So when it comes to regular season title, I'm not sure Hunter needs to be this above and beyond type guy. Once the Southern Conference Tournament comes around where it will really matter, I'm not sure without Hunter being a 13- to 15-point-a-game guy, if they're going to be able to avoid that 45, 50, 55-point game that ultimately dooms them. Nice thing for them, of course, they've got the defense. But Hunter, without a couple of big days, I'm just not sure that UNCG is going to be able to put this away. I still do think they're the best team in the league. But they don't have that second score yeah, established. I, you know, and you could you could point to a couple. I, I would – I guess it's Allegri for me, which is similar to everything you just said, just insert his name you know, uh, for Caleb Hunter because he gets a lot more shots from the outside. He's 38 for 109. It's 35%. Hunter's just shooting 29% from out there. It was Cummings, by the way. Oh, no, it was Cummings. It was Cummings. I mean, he was, a cl- I mean, he was in the corner, right? Pretty pretty clean. Wide open. Nice, nice, and it was nice play. Play design coming off the sideline, out of bounds, or whatever that was. Um, I think it's uh, Allegra. I think somebody has to hit some, some shots. They're only shooting 29% from three. He is the only guy with – well, I guess him and A.J. McGinnis, the only guy shooting over 30% from beyond the arc. But to me, it's about very simple thing for UNCG. They, because of Isaiah Miller is so difficult and can get to the paint, he kicks, they have a lot of clean looks. I mean a lot of clean looks and they have, at times, really struggled to score, and it's cost them. And then at times, 
You know, they'll go a couple games like 80, and everybody's in a roll. And then they'll go a couple games in like the 50s or 60s, and they're really struggling. Uh, open shots, for me, is what will win or lose UNCG more than any other thing. It's just if you could chart open shots, and if they are 50 to 60% on those, probably going to win. If they're more the 30 and under in open shots, because, again, they get a lot of them, then they're going to lose. And it is incredible because if Isaiah Miller had just a couple of guys consistently knocking down shots, and you can point to consistency for the simple reason of Miller's averaging 18, nobody nobody else is averaging double figures, but if you look at Keyshawn Langley, Angel Allegre, Jalen Hunter, even look at Koval, you look at Abdul Salam, those guys have had big double-digit games. They just can't do it night in and night out. And a lot of those, especially for the next three, Langley, Allegra, Hunter, it's because they are not hitting open shots. And to me, that's the only difference for UNCG. I really like Koval, by the way. Um, one of his last 13 was Caleb Hunter going into that Mercer game. Six points against Furman, zero points against Furman. And then he had 11 against Mercer on four of eight from the floor. But he's only broken 13 points twice this year. And it's not like he's missed time. I mean, he's played in 19 or 21 games, so missed a couple of games. But 28 minutes per game, the fact that you've only broken 13 points twice as someone that averaged 10.5 per game last year, averaging 8.5 per game this year, he just has not done enough to improve his game and contribute to this team if they want to be a Southern Conference. Well, and, and, and I'm just, just, again, uh, you look at like, and it, these are similar. I mean, you go back, what's that, two, four, six, seven games. He goes for 17. He goes for 12. Five, six, three, eight, sixteen. You go to the beginning of the year, same thing. 9, 9, 14. 4, 2, 7, 14. 8, 8, 19. 5, 7, 7. I mean, it's just like they just can't get, you know, can you give me 10 a game? Like, and I don't need the swing of 19, but I also don't need the two threes and fours you throw on the board. Like, I feel like you got to get somewhere in between that. Um, that being said, I. We're in a little bit of agreement just with a different guy, but yeah. the same thought process. The only reason I don't say Allegri is because, to me, he's done what you expected him to do, where Caleb Hunter uh, has not to this point, in my assessment. At least. Okay. Chattanooga, hottest team in the league. Do you think they have a chance to jump up and win the championship down just two games? Here's the rest of their schedule. Home to Western, at UNCG, at Mercer. Very important that their last game of the year is home versus VMI rather than having to go to Lexington, where the key nets are very dangerous. I, I think... You know, obviously, Western's just reeling. I don't even, I mean. Western and Sanford, I think, are the only ones that you can just, just count out. Having having some issues. Yeah. Uh, Not in terms of championship, just in terms of playing. Correct. Mercer, they hit enough shots. They, you know, they hit enough dangerous. shots that if Chet has a similar offensive game, which haven't had many, but if they had a similar offensive game to what we saw, Mercer could knock them off. I think clearly the one that's on the board that's the toughest is Greensboro. You know, if you had to rate them, if they can survive at Greensboro, they turn right around to go to Mercer. I would assume if they can survive Greensboro, that they, they if let's have the letdown, then I assume they will survive Mercer. And yes, they could win the last four games. Furman, could they end up as league champion because they're only scheduled to play 16 games, less than anyone else in contention? By the way, Furman did make a change in their starting lineup recently. Gary Keene starting. Jalen Slauson coming off the bench. It's worked well for him, too. Scored double digits in three of the four since coming off the pine. Since that change, shooting 50% or better every game as a reserve. And that looks like it's here to stay. It's been three games in a row where Slauson has come off the bench. Very interesting. I did not see when we saw Heen 
at Freedom Hall, I certainly didn't think that that was going to be something that would occur certainly this year because he just didn't show me a lot. That being said, it was one game, and he's been solid for Furman on the whole this year. So could they be, because of their remaining schedule, and not necessarily because of their opponents, but because of the fact that they only have 16 games, they've got Sanford at home at Mercer, home to VMI, home to the Citadel. Those are three games at home you absolutely have to win. Then at Wofford, where a ton could be on the line on February 27th, which is going to be a really fun day in the SOCOM because that's also the day ETSU plays UNCG at Freedom Hall. With five games left, only going to play 16. Perhaps that winning percentage that's going to break any ties could come into play. I think it's interesting that Furman has started to rotate. They're not seeing five starters averaging 30 minutes and not just putting Garrett Heen in there. But other starters, if you go the last three, four, five games since they've kind of gone to a little bit different philosophy, they're getting more guys in, rotated, getting more action. And so I'm kind of curious about, you know, maybe the change in philosophy. And, yes, there is a situation where they got kind of big on um, UNCG and put some – but, you know, it's the last three minutes of the game. That's not a, you know, taking away the 30-plus minutes that they normally were. And it really feels like going into right after the ETSU game, it felt to me like you look at what they did at Western, you look at Wofford, and they lost Wofford, and they started to rotate more guys. They're starting to get more rotation in. Slauson's still playing more minutes than he. He's certainly been more efficient since coming off the bench. Uh, they've gone to Jalen Pugh more than Anderson, which <coughs> I think you've heard me say Can many times. Anderson, yeah. Yes. And he's been producing. And so I think Furman getting more people in is going to help them. Love their schedule to round out. I think we went over it really in depth last time. And I think it just sets up really well for everything they're going to do, just having the four games, just playing Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. They are going to play at Wofford, which they have struggled to win at. They've been pretty good at hold and serve at home. Not very good winning there. It's going to be interesting to see because Wofford's already beaten them there. And so if they can rattle off the four in a row, you already mentioned Greensboro, a little bit of the schedule, some things they got going on. They still got chat. They still got ETSU. I mean, they've got some formidable opponents. I mean, you're looking at it. Okay, VMI and Citadel giving some teams fit, but VMI already beat Furman. So I feel like Furman's going to be ready for that. I feel like Furman and uh, – oh, I'm skipping the Sanford game, which we've already gone over. Correct. Um, you like I've already called that a win and moving on to the yes. next four games. Right? Not even so, but I, I feel like at Mercer, could, again, Mercer shoots just enough to keep people honest a little bit. So, but if they get the win at Mercer, I feel like VMI is not going to be a problem because they'll be really geeked up for that. It'll be at their place. VMI does not play as well on the road as they do at home. I think they'll be fine against the Citadel at home. And then my question is, after they rattle off those four wins, and then you backtrack it to the win at Western. they got five straight going straight into Wofford. Can they repay the Terriers for that? And so the depth and the change in the lineup and everything has seemed to be working out for Bob Rich. I still think that Mercer game is going to be tough, but certainly you've got three guaranteed, you would think, if you're going to contend for a league title, three guaranteed at home and then at Mercer and at Wofford. Uh, speaking of Wofford, to quote Denny Green, they are who I thought they were. I know he said we, but I'm just going to go with I because I've been saying that they are going to fall apart at some point. They just do not have the offense to keep this season that started out so well for them going. It's kind of been a mix over the last four games, but they've lost three of them. They've come back down to earth. They're now 9-5. and five. They were flat out 
outscored in an offensive game by VMI, 84-80. to 80. Then they did beat Furman at Furman. Nice win. Very surprising to me, no question. Then at home, though, against Chattanooga, absolutely blown out, beaten by 12, and the game wasn't that close. And then, of course, the 49 points they scored against ETSU on Saturday. Do have a pretty light schedule the rest of the way. Home to the Citadel, at Western, at Sanford, home to Furman. Do you think that they're in the worst shape of the five teams that are contending? UNCG, Furman, ETSU, Chattanooga, and then, of course, Wofford being that fifth, but right now in second place. I, I think the one thing that's going for them, one, I th- they've played more than really anybody, right? they got the 14 in. Most people are at third. Yeah. So they have less games to finish out their schedule. And they've already lost to the Citadel. They're going to get them home. I thoroughly think Wofford will correct that error. We've already talked about Western. We've talked about Sanford, right? I mean, those are dubs and dubs. So you've got three wins, and all you got to do is beat your arch rival again. I think it Furman, or I think it Wofford has the best shot to rattle off the wins the rest of the year. Rattle off four. Certainly, I think it should be a titanic tilt with, I think, Furman winning their next four games getting to that one and Wofford winning their three games to get to that one. And then they're going to have those two teams going. If Wofford wins – depending on what UNCG, Chattanooga, a few of these other teams do, then Wofford's got a really nice chance to be who you didn't think they were and be sitting there at the top of the standings. Would you call it a bold prediction if I said that they lose one of those three, home to the Citadel at Western at Sanford, considering the state that Western and uh, yes. in? You would? Yes. Okay, I'm going to put that on the books for bold predictions on Friday. Okay. And that will be for the rest of the year type thing. Home to the Citadel at Western at Sanford. I have to lose one of those. That's going to be – a bold prediction. One of those will be a loss, and of course the yeah. game tomorrow, which is why we can't. I like you doubling down on Wofford. Like Absolutely, like they've lost through the last okay. four, okay. and they are not a team that belongs at the top of okay. this conference. I thoroughly believe that. That being said, they are in a very nice position, as you said, because if they win those three games, they are then twelve and five. And winning percentage-wise, it's going to be very tough to catch UNCG unless they do drop a game or two down the stretch, which is very possible considering their schedule. It's still not an easy schedule by any means. Maybe the toughest schedule of all five of the teams the rest of the way for UNCG. So winning percentage-wise is going to be tough to catch the Spartans and play in all those games, but they may end up with the most wins in the league. If they win their last four, they'll have 13, and UNCG, um, they'll get to 12 for sure, I think, You know, with four games left in their schedule. Uh, can they get to 13? Uh, maybe. Furman, definitely not going to happen. They in fact, mathematically can't because they have only five games on the schedule with seven wins. Chattanooga and ETSU, uh, that, that's up in the air. I mean, you'd have to win out. So it is a surprising effort from Wofford. I am impressed with the, what they've been able to do, but I still do not think that they are out of the woods, even with that soft schedule the rest of the way. Should we talk some football, Jason? Yes, we should. All right. Three, two, one, happy can enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Anderson the sidekick back with you. You may have heard Mike talk about it, but yeah, Saturday, ETSU football. Feels back. weird. Doesn't feel weird. 
Yes. I don't know if I'm ready for a football game. I, I've gotten to the stadium to try, funny. like, to test some stuff. But on Thursday after the Mercer game, I'm going to have to live over there on Thursday to make sure I have it all figured out again. How to yeah. set it up, everything's working. I have a lot of pregame stuff to do. Uh, yeah, I, yes, yeah. I do too. Well, yesterday it was Randy Sanders at his first press conference with the media. looks a bit different this year. We used to have a joyous old time going over to the football stadium, and there was food and laughs. That was my favorite part. Randy was going to get naked and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Uh, Not quite the same on Zoom. Uh, Everyone joined it, of course, remotely. And Coach took tons of questions yesterday. It actually has given the opportunity for media members that don't usually go on to those calls um, to get on and ask some questions and lob a few questions to coach that I don't think he otherwise would have had to answer because coming physically to a location last year and years past was tough for some people to make work, specifically on a Monday when um, you know, you've got a lot going on after the weekend. So it was about 30 minutes he met with the media. We pulled out some bites specifically that we found interesting that I think fans will be interested in. And obviously topic number one for every team, the most important position in all of sports, some say. The kicker? Is the kicker, no. uh, Coach did not take kicker questions. Okay. No, it's the quarterback, and we have a couple of advice from Coach on quarterback. He did name a starter, and let's just say this man uh, holds political office, at least in his own mind. The plan is to start uh, Colorado. Dollar has, has performed well during the game. Uh, it's probably been the most steady, the most consistent. I told him when I told him he was going to be the starter that I was going to tell the other two, I expect him to work every day to beat him out. I expect him to work to, to be the starter and maintain that job. But uh, I, I like the competition we have there. I, I, you know, I mean, I like competition at every position. But uh, I, I think he's had, a, he's had a good fall. I think he brings a lot of stability. Obviously, he's got a lot of experience, more experience than the other two running the offense. So has a little bit of a calming effect on the rest of the guys with that. So Coach starts to go into a little bit of why he chose Tyler Rydell for the starting role. Of course, he played in four games. Still a freshman, that new rule where you can play four games in a year and still redshirt in that season. That's what Tyler Rydell did in his true freshman season. He is back. He is not the largest of quarterbacks you're going to find. A diminutive, I believe, what, five foot eleven? Is that right? Or six feet tall? Um, so he's smaller, certainly. Uh, and there's more reasoning behind why Coach went with Rydell. Of course, a lot of new faces, some that have been around the program, some that have not been around the program, new faces to the football field in a Buccaneer uniform if they are to make their debuts. And as it sounds, there may be a number of Bucs at the quarterback position that could play on Saturday. Uh, he's going to need to be a dual-threat guy for us. That's not when he played against Western Carolina, he was able to run the ball and run it pretty effectively. I give him a hard time about it. Uh, it seemed like every time he ran, he got about five yards down the field and started looking for the sideline. We've had to work on that a little bit about trying to get north and south. we got some guys, whether it's Cade Weldon and Brock Landis, that can make plays. Right now, they make too many plays that will get you beat. we got to keep working with them. they gotta, they got to keep taking coaching. they got to keep making improvements. I do expect uh, one or both of them to probably play in the game. The way this season's going, uh, I think we're going to have to have all of them going into a season where I got we got three. We need to stay healthy. We got to play those guys. Uh, Tyler's got to he's going to have to play well. He's going to have to make plays. It, it's not a game manager situation at all. Uh, we got to keep Brock coming. We got to keep Cade coming. I'm excited about what I think they can do. But uh, I just thought right now for this football team that uh, Tyler probably gives the best chance for. So before we talk about the situation, your thoughts on Tyler Rydell back under center and at least in the immediate going to be the 
starter. We do know that Coach Sanders has named starters in the past that have not necessarily made it um, more than a few games uh, in some cases, uh, but certainly the entire year. When it comes to Tyler Rydell, the most experienced under center at least for ETSU, Kane Weldon, if you've forgotten, was at the University of Miami before transferring here. Um, did see a little bit of action missed last year due to injury that he suffered in the preseason. And Brock Landis, his first year in the program, transfers in from Blinn College. Some great numbers there, but it sounds like Blinn was running a pretty simplified offense. And we know Randy Sanders likes to add offense as you go along through the year. So right now he's most comfortable with Tyler. A lot, lot of reads, a lot of pre-snap, a lot of things that you have to make sure guys are in the right thing, uh, formation, you know, what's going on, especially the line. Eat, uh, even odd fronts, all this good fun uh, stuff that I try to sound smart, but listen to Randy Sanders talk about it. So I, I just think this is this will be good for Landis if he can get a little bit of action in. I think the upside for him, his arm, his size, everything like that, is what Coach Sanders would be looking for. I think he just a little behind the eight ball because of everything you said about sort of struggling with the offense concepts, everything else. Weldon's interesting just for the simple reason of he was going to be, I think, the quarterback last year. And then the well, injury. Well, we heard he was a starter before the injury, yeah. Correct. You know, he was the QB1, as they say, uh, and everything. For Rodell getting the start, it doesn't shock me. He saw the most action. He's got, uh, he's got a little dynamic in him, a uh, little bit of a gunslinger, uh, you know, maybe a mix of a Brett Favre. I'm trying to think of who else, maybe. Because, you know, he'll run around and take some chances, try to fit some balls in where maybe not necessarily trying to do, but the same token, he's the most mobile. He can make plays with his legs. You know, if, if something is to collapse or not there, you know, he doesn't seem to panic. He doesn't, as a little framed guy, he's not afraid to run the football. Um, I think smartly he's run out of bounds, kind of confused, unless Randy's teaching him how to slide, because I don't think Randy's teaching him to run down the field and, you know, get his helmet knocked off. I mean, certainly I don't believe that's what Coach Sanders is trying to accomplish. I think he's just saying, hey, instead of running sideways out of bounds, maybe you could get three more yards, slide, you know, you can protect yourself. Supposedly the referees will protect you. We know we've seen plenty of flags. They tend to do that. So I don't think I'm shocked. I think I went with maybe one of your latter comments of he's named starters, you know, now three straight years, and we've yet to see one make it every single way. And he didn't say basically this is Tyler's job and here we go it was it's Tyler's job for now these guys are going to get a chance there's going to be competition you know competition's good I agree since you don't have a starter you know or at least it was almost like he's starting because of really this and not really a definitive like he's our starter so I you know we'll see uh, Tyler I, I know him him three or four of the players a little better than some of the others just because I took my class and got a chance to have more interaction with him. He's got a, a mindset that's just, I think it's built perfect for it. You know, he's, he's going to throw a ball, and at some point in time, he's going to throw an interception, but he's going to be the guy that it's already forgotten about, and then he's going to chuck another one down the field later. So, you know, he, I think he's got the makeup that Coach Sanders, and he's definitely got, I think, the attitude that Coach Sanders wants. I think he may be slightly not as gifted in some of the other areas. Besides the legs, he's definitely the best runner of the group. And most and I'm not just talking like let's do some read option going. I'm talking about just escapability, 
extending the play, stepping up in the pocket, taking off, getting a few extra yards. You know, Austin Herrick wasn't a great runner, but he knew when to do that, right? The question is, will there be a guy with enough moxie that if it's third and five and he has to tuck it, can he get the five yards? And we'll see if that's going to be Tyler Rydell or not. So Coach Sanders happy with Tyler Rydell. There's some others that he raved about during the press conference that have turned heads during the lead-up to Saturday's contest. Been really, really pleased with uh, Elijah Huzzy in the secondary. Really been very, very steady, very consistent, and has, has made a lot of plays on defense just doing his job, not trying to do anything special, just doing what's asked of him and has made a lot of plays. DeAndre Davis, I think, has been a, a really nice addition to defense, what he's been able to do. And then, and then a couple of those young backs. We've got a couple of young backs that I'm pretty excited about. I hope we see a whole lot of Quay Holmes. I hope we see a whole lot of Jacob Sailors. But uh, what Irving, uh, Bryson Irving, what Trey Foster, and then throwing Charlie Cohen in the mix, what they've been able to bring has been nice. So looking forward to seeing, once the lights come on, does the same guy show up that shows up for practice each day? I think that's the case, but you never know until you, you get out there on Saturdays. So Elijah Huzzy in the defensive backfield, 5'11", 180, redshirt freshman from Franklin, Georgia. DeAndre Davis, big, hulky line. Charlotte guy, right? 6'2", 230 out of Charlotte Howe High School, also a redshirt freshman. So those two have been around a bit, didn't have the chance to get on the field last year in terms of um, – Davis's case did appear in four games, that being Elijah Huzzy. So Huzzy's been out there a little bit. Davis has not. And then you heard the running backs, and this is something that we dovetailed on in the press conference. I kind of pressed Coach on if he thinks there will be a chance for both running backs, maybe even three running backs, to be on the field at once in the offense. And he wouldn't tip his hand on game plans, schemes, formations, that kind of thing. I wouldn't expect him to, but it did sound like he was becoming more and more open to doing more of that because he said, yeah, we've tried to do some of that, but um, certainly we're with all the talent at that position. It's something that seems like a must. And considering when we talked about wide receivers, it didn't sound like he had necessarily rave reviews for what was in the right wide receiver position right now, and he talked up tight ends. It sounds to me like a natural marriage of let's go bigger, let's run the ball more, let's have our best personnel on the field with – Noah West at tight end with Nate Adkins at tight end, a few others at that position, and then with Holmes, Sailors, Irby, Cole at running back. Uh, that, to me, goes hand-in-hand hand for a successful offensive game plan, but obviously we're going to see on Saturday which direction it goes. Um, with four or five receivers being used on the field sometimes by teams, it didn't sound like Coach kind of wrote that off in terms of something ETSU was going to be doing a lot of. That was the one thing he did say when it came to um, game plan and personnel. So, DeAndre Davis, Elijah Huzzy, and then the running backs. And I think you and me have talked a little bit about the running backs and the tight ends on the defensive side. You've mentioned Elijah Huzzy to me before, and DeAndre Davis. Nice to see that he's come along. Yeah, well, that's, maybe a, that, a, couple of that's a guy when he said his name that I don't want to say caught me off guard because I've, I've watched him practice. I saw he's getting a lot of reps, but, you know, he didn't see a lot of action. You know, a lot of the other guys saw, you know, four games or whatever. You know, a lot of the younger guys that were freshmen. And, and if DeAndre Davis got in, had to be on special teams because he wasn't getting a lot of linebacker reps. I don't believe he did. So for him to make a huge jump from, you know, a freshman didn't really see the field a lot to or at all to turn around to probably a starting outside linebacker position and beat out the transfer, uh, Javon Harrison, or Javarius Harrison, excuse me, for uh, from Buffalo, I mean, says a lot about Davis. Um, also, to me, says – there's some depth that's 
looking pretty nice for ETSU on the defense. Still the questions the front three, but looking at the back end of Huzzy's really stepping into that role. Then you had the what the App State transfer Mike Price is a starting safety with Tyree Robinson. You know what you get. You know what you get with Karanda Lynch, right? You feel pretty good about those guys. Then you move into the linebackers. You know, you get Bachrup back. Garrett Folks is like 39 now. He's Donovan back. Manuel. Donovan Manuel was my guy last year. Remember, I made a big bold prediction on him. He's going to be there. Colton Lakes has been there. Uh, Jalen Porter made some plays last year familiar with. So seeing the two new guys on the uh, opposite outside uh, linebacker, sort of the, the boundary side, the short side of the field, in Davis um, and in Harrison, I think that that's interesting to see. And that was a name that kind of shocked me when he brought it up. But I'm excited to see. I know uh, where, you know, there in Mecklenburg County, that's, that's a 6A area, some big-time football, Kannapolis, some others. So I was very familiar um, with Davis and some of the league he played in. Um, and I'm not familiar with a lot of high school leagues. I don't pretend like I am, but I am familiar with that league. And so I was kind of excited when he first came in, but then really didn't hear anything from him. So when he dropped his name, I, you know, I immediately knew where he was from and who he was. But I think that was maybe a surprise when he – Drop that name. I was not expecting that name when he was throwing people out there. You nailed it in the secondary to Lynch, Robinson, Price, and then Huzzy, that boundary corner, beat out Giorgio to Megwu for that position, and at linebacker, Bachrath, Manuel, Folks, and then the quote-unquote bandit, they'll call it, another outside linebacker. It's Davis over Harrison. We've got names on the depth chart at the defensive line, all three defensive line positions, but Coach flat out said he's not sure that he's decided on any of those three positions. When it comes to game day, you've got Pinkleton, Jawan Ross, um, Evans, Devin Brantley, Kamen Cody. Um, you know, there's a lot of options up front, but that's certainly an area I think that when Coach Sanders was going out and trying to get some more experienced players, that's what he wanted to address. And so unfortunate to hear that he doesn't feel like some have stood out more than others. Now there's the other side of it. Maybe everybody's looking good, right? I mean, that's a perfect world. But I think at the end of the day, if a coach like Randy Sanders, who you know knows what he likes, he's been around coaching for quite some time, and when he sees talent and he knows the guy has to be on the field, he can spot it pretty quick. It doesn't strike me as a positive right now for the defensive line that he does not feel comfortable naming any starter up front. I think it's not a good sign. It's terrible. Uh, it's concerning because I think that's the number one area that you have to it, – it's been the – it's not been the weakest because certainly you can roll off lots of names that have come through in the last couple of years. I think they were solid, and you would say, yeah, but the depth hasn't been there. And there's always been a guy or two graduate, and there's been three or four rotated in. There's not enough depth. There's not enough guys making play. And I think late in games, especially when you play the Citadel, Wofford, Furman, you know, even late in that Chattanooga game where uh, a limb or whatever just went bonkers running the football. I, I think having a couple of guys there to rotate in, I think, is the thing. And so that's still concerning to me. Uh, I think I heard Blake, and we'll run it during the. Uh, pregame show, but Blake Bockworth was kind of raving um, and pumping up a few of the guys, John right? And, and the, old, the old Dominion transfer, sure. And he talked to Timmy Dorsey very briefly. He was another transfer. And then they've got a few guys that were left. And, of course, you can't get Austin Lewis till later. That certainly would change, I think, the dynamic of the line in the fall. But just looking in the spring, the most concerning thing, and maybe the most up in the air besides still quarterback, right? I know he named Rydell. But if I were to look at you right now and go, okay, Mike, give me the two position groups that 
you probably feel the least confident in. I would be shocked if you didn't say quarterback and defensive line. Correct. So, that's really it. I I feel with Huzzy and Wilson as receivers, I think the offensive line shapes up well. I think the tight ends are the – them and the running backs are probably the two deepest positions. Secondary's got a few – I mean, even if you had like Quinn Smith – uh, Chris Hope's a new a newcomer. Dwayne uh, Ruff, we saw get action last year. Those are all backups in secondary. They can play out. We mentioned all the backup linebackers we're familiar with. Defensive line and quarterback are going to be the two things I think that ETSU, if they're going to be successful, can they go six and two? Can they go four and four? Will they go two and six in an eight game schedule? I think it's going to come down to defensive line quarterback play. I'm with you. All right, we got uh, a little recap. Bold. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. Championship. Warriors Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. Championship. This one loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6. And state this is a lifeless organization. Championship. Wake Forest basketball's got his man's new coach, Steve Forbes, from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. Championship. The conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. Oh, is that right? Oh, oh no, it's not. It's here, baby. Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two stops to a brownie to watch it Just disgusting. Should, should have seen everything I dipped in hot sauce yesterday at Chad's Chicken. Just one thing Chad has going for him. People rave about champions. They really do. I saw you I, I like about like 3 uh, o'clock. You guys get to every opposing city like five hours early. I, I am a huge fan of going to the building at least two two hours before definitely, I go on air. Definitely two hours before. You guys get there like five hours before every game. Well, it's incredible. I got that's not true. I got uh, I got uh, when I get to I You left to go to Mercer at like nine thirty in the morning, the first seven o'clock game. Yeah, I stopped at the varsity, <laughs> sat outside. The varsity is extremely overrated by the way. Yeah, yeah, Mike Gallagher hates it, it but I, so I enjoyed uh, me and uh, Kevin had a picnic outside. It was beautiful it was because cute. we couldn't eat. It we couldn't eat inside, cute. but we went down there because we wanted to take. I, and another thing, I like to take my time to eat, so I've got to work in like an hour meal. Or Do for Champy's right? Chicken, I worked in an hour and a half meal because I, I got you. I got there at three <laughs> thirty. Okay. I left there at four fifty and um, got in the arena at like two after five. So it was good. I picture you just shoveling it in. I didn't picture you as the guy that uh, savors his food. Sometimes both. Savor this moment because it was one that screwed me over. Threw it away, Ladarius Brewer. He's going to have 32. He goes all the way down. Finger roll left. He does 32. Oops. Oh, it's Ty Brewer. He got a haircut. Threw me Ty off. Brewer. He's got his haircut. Threw me off. See? Four for Ty Brewer. It's almost like I heard that clip. If I didn't know you, I would say. I knew you were going to blame that. I knew. That, that I knew was a you, mistake. You wanted me. You think a hoodoo dude. But I your... know you better than that, Jason. Okay. Goes. Good. That was I'm just meant directly for me. No. 40 points is what I said the Ladarius Brewer and Demario Monsanto were going to get against Wofford. Now, to be fair to you and to me, that's not exactly how I expected it to go. I didn't expect Ladarius to have 32 a high of the 40. Buccaneer or he would have had 32 of the Buccaneer. Yeah, oh, you're still on it. See, yeah, yeah, 32 and 8. It's 40. I get it, Jay. Uh, I expect it to be more like 22-18, you know, 25-17, something like that, 40 or more. Instead, it was 30. Jay Sando's there on, I think it was the final basket that the starters or the 
at least the non-walk-on. Yes, correct. Whatever. It was like with two minutes left, and that was it. And instead, when Brandon Hudson over PA says, Ty Brewer, my soul is sucked out of my body, and Jay Sandoz says, Foiled me again. And he lost. You, you keep forgetting that. 38. To, I've had like five unbelievably close calls this year. Yeah, uh, he didn't have a close call? Bubba Wallace. Or was no, that true? Uh, well, no, because he, he finished the uh, lap the down. Down. 22 laps to go. His tire was loose. Oh, How's that shame. happen? What a shame. Put those lug nuts Tire on, was loose. That's, that's the extent of my knowledge of NASCAR lug nuts. Uh, Wofford and ETSU, you said? 10, 10 plus. Mm-hmm. I am the smartest man alive! Hold on, 22. Not even close, as a matter of fact. So you get that one. I said every favorite in the Southern Conference predicted five games correct. I should get like five right for this. But I don't. I only get one. But still, I am a genius for getting that right. Predicted five games correctly. All the favorites won in the Southern Conference. Bang. I match you with one this week. Uh, You technically, technically get a second. I'm not going to give you two points, though, this week. I'm giving you one and a half. Because Drake and Loyola played each other twice over the weekend. Each of them won one. So you do not get two full points. There's absolutely no way that you get the 10 plus for Wofford and a point. So we each have a half point. Now. Yes, you get right, a half point. I will give you a half point because that is garbage. It's garbage. You said that three again, teams again, in the top ten again, of the I openly would said win, would I had no idea who played who. And Drake and Loyola played each other, and each of them won one. So that was two of the victories, my, two my, of the losses. My extent say. was the 10th-ranked team was Abilene Christian. Did you go over that one? Who, who was the third team? Was Wright it? State, who were number nine, and they lost to Bowling Green. Didn't Toledo, Toledo lose to No. Toledo won. Okay. Yeah. So you got three teams, the very bare minimum. You said three would lose in the top ten of the mid-major bowl, three lost. But two of them played each other, so you get a half point. I'll give you a half point. Okay. Uh, I had probably the worst bowl prediction of all time. When Michigan State uh, lost by 30, they did not only not oh my, by yes, double yes, figures, they lost by 20. 30 at home. Someone check um, to see if lost to Bowling Green on Saturday, oh, February 13th, 88 to 81. So that was four. Oh, that is four. That is four. Mm-hmm. I just want to bring that up. That was four, and they only played once that week. It's four. <sighs> All right, it's four. All right, you get two. Boom. Damn it, cheater. I thought cheater. that it was the other way around. Cheater. I thought that He's a Bowling, wait, did I say t- I might even said just now that Toledo lost eighty eight to Bowling. I think I did. I just it was bad. It's all backwards. Okay. I don't know. Okay, you get two. Fine. You yes. get two, Jay Sandoz. Yes. How unfortunate. Big time. So even if I still think that Drake and Loyola, pretty much the top two mid major teams in the country right now, playing each other this weekend. It's hard to take it away from me though. Much as I may try, as I did try. The so trail. Yeah, you're still down by one and a half, but Close it in. Nine and a half to eight. And you already got one uh, on the board. I got one on the board. So I got I to come up with a couple. Listen to segment three if you want to hear that. Also, if you want to hear the breakdown of the schedules the rest of the way for each of the four teams that we thought were in the SoCon title race, now it's five. Obviously, when we broke down Chattanooga's schedule today, I think it's the end of segment one Friday. You can check that out. It's like ten minutes or so. And we'll talk about it again, obviously. Who were geniuses then? Uh, we were geniuses then? I don't know. I don't think we're ever geniuses. Nope. Especially not full prediction. I'll just talk about schedules. We can read a schedule page. I don't think we can. Okay. All right, we'll be back with you to preview the weekend Sunday. Nope, Friday. Someday. Look at your course network.